0: Okay, you guys, here we go. So (laughs) the title of today's message is The Kingdom of God is Beautiful. I have been excited knowing that I'm going to share with you for um, several months holding this topic in my heart and um, felt really clearly like this was to be the title of the message. The Kingdom of God is Beautiful. Felt really clear until Tuesday. So, um, so that's where we are. So it was about on Tuesday when um, I realized that the Lord was taking me a new direction. What I was going to talk about was the role of the artists in the body. Something that I am really passionate about. I um, desire and long to see the artist reconciled to our body. And uh, I've had front row seats. My brother is a professional artist. That's his role and his job in life. And I've had a front row seat to the grief of him not knowing how he fits in the body of Christ and observing that along his journey and just desiring to see a fuller expression. We know that in the 15th, 16th, 1700s, the arts were actually the primary way in which the gospel was communicated. So how did that change? Why did that change? And what is the Lord doing now, I believe, to reconcile the artists back to the church and to humble the church to see the prophetic message that's coming through the artists? I believe there's a lot that's happening there right now. But I did say that that's not the message for today. So I'm going to put a pause there. I am excited about it. We will continue to carry it and um, hold it together as a people. See, what happened was I got into the presence of the Lord and realized that I don't actually know what the definition of beauty is. Good. It is good. It's good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. It's profound. Um, so, so I began asking the Lord, "What is beauty?" He reminded me that uh, I was 22 years old when I was in a worship gathering, emotions were high and the lights were low, and the tangible presence of the Lord was all over us. And up from my stomach, I felt this question arise: "God, can I give my life for the sake of beauty?" It's a curious question. Like, even as I say it now, it's like, what's it mean? Um, But I knew it was the Lord, because even before I finished the question, I felt him say, yes. Yes. You can, because I have. Give your life for the sake of beauty. So... To be honest, I haven't really explored what that means until I got into this message. I held it and it felt poetic and nice and good, but I didn't really know what to give your life for the sake of beauty meant. So, if you've been around Nava for any significant amount of time, you know that this word is really important to us. Beauty is in our name nava in exodus chapter 15 verse 2 moses is singing a song and he is exalting the lord he says the lord is my strength and my song he says i will exalt him i will make for him a habitation that word habitation it means to bring home to make beautiful to worship the lord It means to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the people, therefore beautifying the people because they are near to his presence. And we as a people have chosen this as our name, Nava, to bring home and to make beautiful. So, in the next 20 minutes, I want to explore together the biblical meaning of beauty. And I wanna ask the question, is it worth laying our lives down for? And if so, what does that require of us? So in order to understand the Father's heart for beauty, I wanna go straight to the scripture. Um, I'll warn you, I spent a lot of time in the Strong's Concordance this week. It is a dear friend that I haven't seen much since seminary, but I brought it back and found a lot of joy in it. So there are gonna be some Hebrew words, there are gonna be some Greek words. Interestingly enough, there are a lot more Hebrew words than Greek words. When I went to unfold beauty in the scripture, I found over a dozen uh, different words in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it was a different story. In fact, I started exploring Christ as beautiful and I went down the path And lo and behold, there is no scripture that says Jesus is beautiful. So mind you, I did a double take, I did a triple take, I thought about scratching this message altogether, I thought that every worship song I've ever sung was a sham. Where do we get this idea that he is beautiful? His face is beautiful, he's radiant, the cross is beautiful. We sing these songs and I started wondering, oh Lord, what have we done? I know this is real but like, where did we get this? So, that brought me to the Old Testament, where we see that the Messiah who is prophesied is called again and again and again beautiful. In so many terms, the prophets beheld the coming king. They called him radiant and glorious, shining and bright and beautiful. I wanna go through a couple of these words. Bear with me, my pronunciation is bad. But one of the most common words that you're gonna find uh, is noam, anybody? June left the room, okay, you can correct me. Feel free to shout out if I'm wrong on these. But it means pleasant, it is the favor of the Lord. It is a word that we would probably use in the English to say beautiful. It is pleasant to look at in appearance. It's the word that we use in Psalm 27. One thing that I have desired that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty, the noam of the Lord. Another word is bright and shining. The prophets use this a lot to describe the coming king. He is bright and shining. We know in, uh, this is where we see it in the book of Revelation, that we have a bright and shining Jesus, that the one who is seated on the throne is glorious, bright and shining. And lastly, this word hod. Hode? Hode? Hode. Honor, majesty, splendor, and glory. So it's interesting. I mean, we've got so many different translations of the word, but when you see these words, splendor, glory, honor, a lot of times they're the same words that in other scriptures are translated to beauty. So we're going to have a little fun with that. But (laughs) interestingly enough... We, while we don't see this in the New Testament, in fact, we have an Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 53, that says he is specifically not beautiful. Like, it's real clear. It says no man was attracted. Like, he, did, he wasn't special in any way. He was probably brown haired, dark eyes, maybe five foot tall, normal guy. So not only do we not have a beautiful radiant Jesus on earth that's adorned with all of the precious gems that we see in the Old Testament coming King, we have a really not beautiful Jesus, a really humble average guy. This was really curious to me. As I began to explore this idea, I just began to wonder what made Christ beautiful? So I just wanna take a minute and land here because I'm curious. I'm sharing my curiosities with you. These are not theological truths that have been tested and tried. Probably don't even repeat me. But this is my curiosity, is that Jesus in his flesh and his fully God, fully man came on earth, identified with us, became a priest for us. In our brokenness, he he reconciled our brokenness to beauty through the cross. He took our hand and he led us to Gethsemane, not coming shining and bright, isolating us from the glory that we now have received and are able to enter into, but beginning with us in our brokenness. This is profound to me, that he outlines for us a journey, that there is no expectation that in your uh, sanctification in your journey towards fullness, towards uh, the the glory of God, that you start beautiful. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It is expected that we start real average, and that as we lay down our lives, as we go to the cross, as we die a million deaths, day after death, day after death. It works. Day after day. Yeah, okay. As we do that, we become beautiful. Christ is exalted, seated next to the Father, now radiant, now shining, now adored, now bright. In the same way that we are being perfected and sanctified and changed and transformed. Just wanna pause and take a moment if you find yourself in a moment on the way to the cross, something in your life feels like you're maybe in a Gethsemane. I just felt the need to pause here and say, welcome home. Welcome home to the place of being made beautiful. This is our home, day after day. He is perfecting us, and I bless you unto beauty. I bless you in your current place of laying down, whatever it is that you're laying down. Christ was made beautiful. Psalm 90, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us. So we had Psalm 27, and it says, I want to dwell in your house. I want to look at the beauty of the Lord. I want to behold your beauty. And then the only natural response, which I find this so profound, we see in Psalm 90. Now let that beauty be upon me. Let it rest on my shoulders. Let your beauty that I am beholding, oh God, How radiant, how perfect, how beautiful. Let your favor, let your beauty now rest upon your people. Isn't this the story of the gospel? He has done it, and so now we want to do it with you. We want to be like you. We want to be changed into your image. Make us beautiful, God. I got a little excited about a preposition. It sounds really geeky. But this word, upon is the same preposition, the same word that we see in Joel 2, familiar verse to many of us. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. When we read that verse, at least for me, I read that and I think you're gonna pour out your spirit upon. That is a filling word. That is an empowering word. That is, uh, it anoints us. His spirit is anointing us. So when we ask this, let the beauty of the Lord come upon, it's like, it reminds me of, let the spirit of the Lord come upon. What if his beauty anointed us? What if his beauty filled us? What if it empowered us to go do the works of the gospel? I believe it does. His beauty filling us, empowering us to advance his kingdom. Marking us for the works that he has called us to. It's interesting, Um, over and over in the New Testament, I was seeing this story unfold of not beautiful to beautiful, not beautiful to beautiful. We've got a people who strayed from God. They have um, abandoned his ways. They have chosen their own ways. And because of that, their land has become desolate. They have gone into exile, their temple is in ruins, they're not producing any grain. Um, We have so many verses and passages that speak to us about the desolation and the destruction of Israel when they stray from their Lord. We can identify, we have all walked away at different times and experienced the desolation that comes with that. Over and over again, it's the prophets who speak of the restoration. This word, beauty, is actually much more than our modern understanding of looking nice and pretty. The word beauty that we're exploring in the Old Testament more fully translates to fruitfulness, to health. fullness completeness fulfilled this is beauty so when we look at scriptures that speak of the beauty of the land will be restored it's you will be fruitful again you will have more to share you will be generous this is beauty to be a generous people that we're producing so much that we can give it away We see that we have entire books of the Bible that are prophesying to the making beautiful again of a temple being rebuilt, Nehemiah and Ezra saying, go back and rebuild the former glory, rebuild the temple. People of God, he wants to restore your beauty. And so over and over, we see this call that beauty is worth it. For hundreds of years, he calls us to be restored in beauty. Hosea 14 is one such promise. I will heal their apostasy, I will love them freely, for my anger will have turned from him. I will be like the dew of Israel, and he will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His new branches will spread, and his beauty will be like that of the olive tree. The people will return and live beneath its shade. They will grow grain and blossom. This is the beauty of the kingdom of God. Not only is the king beautiful, his kingdom is beautiful. He is on a mission to beautify everything and everyone, to reconcile people and places back to beauty, back to wholeness, back to health, back to abundance, back to flourishing, the biblical definition of beauty. I love this passage, Zephaniah nine sixteen. The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people, for they are like jewels in a crown sparkling over his land. This ultimately is his desire that as we behold his beauty, we say, oh God, let your beauty rest upon us. He changes us, transforms us, makes us like jewels in his crown. And then he sends us out into dark places, into scary places to transform the world and bring beauty where beauty is not being experienced. God, can I give my life for the sake of beauty? Yes, he says, this is what I have done unto the healing of a people, unto the restoration of a nation, unto abundance and generosity, unto every nation looking at that people and saying, who is their God? That the promises have been fulfilled. Beauty seeks to expand. The Spirit of God compels us to go to the edges of our comfort zone, not static but advancing into the desolate places, whether they be the dark, scary places of our own heart or the abandoned neighborhoods of our city. Beauty is on a mission. Two years ago, Jason and I were struggling to figure out where we were going to put our daughter in school. We had a school that we loved, and uh, it just wasn't practical for us anymore, and so we began looking at charter schools and private schools, and for a brief moment of craziness I thought about homeschool, and we just looked. I really admire, and maybe one day, but not today, um, on the homeschool comment. So. Um, We eventually, around that time, a Facebook ad popped up and uh, there was a school, and they posted their vision statement. So I just wanna read for you guys this vision statement because it sounds a lot like the gospel of beauty to me. Kansas City, it reads. A city ridden with wounds from the past and divided by racial, socioeconomic, and education disparities. These iniquities impact the city's most precious resource, its children. This is the story of Kansas City, or it has been. Our school is writing a different story, a story that revolves around a vision for renewal and transformation. We long to see those gaps bridged to empower a diverse group of learners to become successful contributors in their communities for the glory of God to see every child discovering their value and pursuing their purpose, and to see the gospel of Jesus bring reconciliation and restoration to our city through our children. This is why we exist. Unbeknownst to me, the school was started by an artist collective that had the courage to expand out of the four walls of their church, and they felt passionately that they were to bring the arts and beauty to the east of Prospect, making beauty accessible for every child in Kansas City. Needless to say, we signed up. It's been wonderful. We couldn't get away from the vision statement. Despite the challenge in my own mind is saying, are we really gonna do this? Are we gonna leave our like safe, you know, we've got a great school district, are we gonna drive all the way out here to go east of Prospect? Yeah, because there is something that these educators and administrators and artists are doing that we were so attracted to, we had to be a part of it. And that's what the gospel of beauty does. It expands, it finds the dark places, it finds the lonely places, and it reaches out. We had to catch the, the tailcoat of that vision and say, we wanna go too. Teach us, take us with you. As I was uh, considering this message today, I was, uh, we've got an office here. I was in the back corner messing with a whole bunch of ideas of maybe where beauty was taking us in the scripture. And um, here in the main, um, right here where you guys are sitting, um, we've got an organization called Chess that are our neighbors and they seek to um, bring support, housing support, utilities to those who need it in Kansas City and so it's an incredible, um, beautiful mix of people who are able to come and receive aid. And uh, Chia and uh, Blackwell were, uh, you know, over praying for people. It was really beautiful. And I thought, how can I sit in the corner of an office talking about the beauty expanding while this is happening in our, like, right here in our very neighborhood? And what it got me to consider is how many places are there like that where I'm doing my work of the gospel, where I'm putting my hands to something and i'm blind to actually the invitation from the lord of where maybe it's a little bit out of my comfort zone it's a stretch but it's actually the greatest gift to me to become beautiful to behold the beauty of what he's doing to to join in humility in that wave of his kingdom expanding and to get to be a part of that so What I'd like to do is just take a minute and to ask the Lord some questions. I'm going to read two questions, and uh, I want to invite you to pick one and to consider with me how the Lord might be inviting us into beauty, to be his hands and his feet and his heart. The first question... Simply put, where is the Lord leading me to expand his beauty? Real straightforward. What am I putting my energy and effort to? To bring beauty, fullness, completeness, health, fruitfulness. How am I partnering with those things? If that's not landing with you, The second question is, what am I beholding? Am I beholding beautiful things? As we behold, we become. What am I beholding? So we'll just take three minutes. I'm going to leave us with this. I'll pop back up and close us after that quiet time. I wanna close us with this. Uh, We were at back to school night and uh, one of the administrators at my daughter's school uh, was pregnant this summer and lost a child. First child um, born just before viability and uh, is on the road of grief on the road of discovering beauty in the midst of pain. And I'm so proud of her because uh, she has done what we've talked about today. She has taken the scary, dark places and she has bravely and boldly explored them. So in her grief, she has taken the time to find the mothers and the fathers who have lost their babies, and she began painting for them. Wanting to know and be known, she has shared this with us. Beauty out of her pain, out of her lack, sharing it generously with those who need it most. This is the invitation, that we would be bold and brave to go to those scary dark places, the physical and the spiritual, and that we would trust the Lord in Gethsemane, at the cross, to make us shiny and bright and glorious in our resurrected form, in our eternal hope, who is Christ himself. We behold him and he makes us like him. Beautiful. I'd like to pray for us and close. Ecclesiastes 3.11 Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. I invite you to take whatever posture feels appropriate to just receive a blessing now. Father, we cannot see the entire scope of what you're doing, but we know that you are on a mission to make beautiful everything in its time to bring forth completeness, abundance, and health, to make us into your own image, and to restore a people and a church and a city unto yourself. I bless each one in this room now, Abba, to pursue the gospel of beauty and to find the courage and the bravery to lay Their lives down to lay our lives down for the sake of beauty because you did it first. We love you, Jesus, and we take courage from you today. You are worth it. You are magnificent and radiant. We behold you in all of your goodness, righteousness, and holiness. We ask you now, in the words of Psalm 90, Would you allow that beauty to rest upon us now, empower us, fill us, and baptize us with your beauty that we might go forth and expand your kingdom in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's stand. We're gonna take a hand, pray the Lord's Prayer. We do this to close. It's something we do as a family from the beginning of NAVA, so. Let's pray together. Our Father